welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey church, welcome to uh, this week's conversation uh, that started last week and is continuing on for a couple more weeks with me, Vijay, who's one of the pastors here at The Well, and Sundar, who is my dad, who's also a part of our congregation here at The Well. Um, you know, we're talking these four weeks about something that is so significant for the two of us, mm-hmm. uh, and for obviously for millions and millions of people around the world throughout history, billions really, and that is scripture, the collection of 66 books that make up the library that we call the Bible. Um, and the reason we're talking about it is because it reveals who God is to us. It invites us into a relationship with God and um, and transforms us in the process. And so we're, we're also talking because we realize for many of you, if you're new to faith, you're exploring faith, or even if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, it's tough sometimes to read scripture or understand mm-hmm. it or make sense right. of it. I mean, we had this conversation with my kids the other day about like Shakespeare and like, why do we have to read it? It doesn't make any sense. It's a, and that was just a few hundred years, that was five, six hundred years, right? Yeah. 16th century. This is like thousands of years old. And so it is not easy in a sense to read. And yet in another sense, it's so uh, beautiful. It's been translated into our language in different versions that we have audio versions, whatever. And so we have this opportunity to read this book, to know God and be transformed. <laughs> but it made me think of this story from our childhood growing up uh, of like, why, like we got to know what we're reading in the first <laughs> place. So uh, your parents, uh, when they first came to Canada, like one of the funny features that developed was um, my grandmother, your mom and dad, like your dad loved watching soap operas. But um, his mother loved it, but dad sat with Yeah, it. he endured, he endured. <laughs> Which now I understand because Bollywood has a long tradition of these stories. But anyway, she's watching As the World Turns or something like that. And there was one day where she was going to be gone yeah. with her friends. So she said to him, you have to watch it for me and tell me what happens. Yeah, so yeah. he's sitting down there in the basement watching <laughs> as the world turns or whatever by himself. And then when she got back and she said, tell me what happened. He's, he's recounting the story to her. And then she said, I, you know, this is my 70 year old grandfather. I love you. Mm-hmm. And she said, you don't, you're lying, whatever. It was so funny because he's recounting this like melodramatic love story like he's a court stenographer. (laughs) And it just made me think like, yeah, you have to know what you're reading. Because there's no connection between him and what was happening on that story. No, no connection. And the genre of what he's reading is so different. that So it was hilarious. But often like with scripture, we sort of go... um, how, what is this that I'm reading? Mm-hmm. It's not self-evident in one sense. No. And, you know, maybe it was told us it's a holy book or a magic book or whatever. Uh, all of that sometimes is not helpful for us necessarily. We think, okay, how do I read this book? So last week, if you missed it, we talked about like why in the first place. I mean, in a sense, we'll keep talking about that. But really, these next three weeks starting today is, well, how do I read this book? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think to start with, we wanted to put in front of you to say, we read this as a story, Absolutely. as one unified story. Right. Yeah. Um, our friends at the Bible Project, we're going to show a video in a couple minutes uh, from them, but they talk about this. This is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this important, uh, Dad, that we read the Bible as a story? I think the most important reason is because our lives take the form of a story. Yeah. We don't live our lives in compartments, you know, first 10 years called 
growing up, second education, <laughs> then marriage, then concepts, and then some interesting trips to Hollywood or wherever. No, our life goes from big details to ridiculously small things, to time periods of doing absolutely nothing, to meeting interesting people, to meeting boring people, to get confused, to get exhilarated, to watch a ball game one moment, to fail in an exam another moment, to be chosen to represent a team. Ups and downs and highs and lows are all accorded equal dignity. There is no part of your life that isn't your life. Mm -hmm. And But why is that way? Because there is a master story yeah. that governs all of our lives. And, you know, and every story, even the story books, that, the books and novels that are written that really engage people well, have an antagonist, have a protagonist, have a plot, have some subterfuges in there, and finally there's resolution. Has anybody bothered to ask why is it like that? Because all of life has that. And the master story, which is what the Bible is all about, yeah. is fundamentally a story. So that's why we need so, to read it first so this and is, foremost. Yeah, story. and this is important because this is not simply a literary technique of communication. No. Like, oh, story is a good way to communicate. Oh, of course it, it is. It's the other way around. The <laughs> reason it is yeah. is because all of life is a story. Exactly. I feel like deep down, all of us want to believe that that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, that this search for meaning, like, how do I make sense? The question why, right? right. right? Totally. It's a question we ask, sometimes yeah. out loud, mm -hmm. sometimes underneath. Mm -hmm. It actually betrays the fact that we believe deep down. This is why I think for me, ultimately, I can't subscribe to a worldview where there is no answer to the question why there is no meaning. Because why do I keep asking it? Right. The reason I keep asking it right. is because I know deep down there's an answer. Right. Um, it may not be an easy answer or a simple answer, but there is a thread that connects all of the sometimes disparate, confusing, apparently meaningless events of my life, but I want to know that there is a story that makes sense of everything. Well, and it's very interesting, you know, we'll probably get into this. Some One question might be, why bother to read an old book, you know? Mm -hmm. And the Hebrew people who wrote most of what we call the Old Testament, and then all the early Christians were also people from a Jewish background, they were unique in that they believed that there was a God who was actively in control of history. Therefore, there was nothing that was not meaningful in there. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no such thing as secular versus sacred. Everything was sacred. Nothing was secular. Everything mattered to God, which is why they were willing to record their abject failures in there as well. They weren't like many others in the ancient Near Eastern. They embellished their histories to make themselves look good. The Hebrews never embellished anything. And to me, I want to be able to live my life with that kind of conviction, sort of plug into this master story that was driven by this conviction that nothing is meaningless because yeah. there's a purposeful God working yeah. in it. I can't think of anything more that I need. Yeah, and maybe some of you just need to hear that today, right? Yeah. About your own story that nothing is meaningless. Yes. Um, there aren't simple answers to it. And you know Absolutely that. If anyone not. tried to give you a simple answer, yeah. you know it wouldn't be the true right. one. Um, and there isn't just one answer for it. But I think this idea of story, as we started saying, the scriptures are a story, not just as a technique of literary, no. you know, literary device of communicating information. Right. It's because there is a grand story that our lives are a part of it. 
And, and we're, we're going to talk because, you know, I know the meaning of my life is not about teachings right. or systematic theology. or mm. It is about the relationships as part of this story that at the end of my life, hopefully I'll feel like, oh, it was meaningful. It was right. It was a good story. See, there's there is wisdom that comes from a life reflected upon. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's, life is particularly about systematics. Yeah. So in the same way doesn't mean that this story isn't packed with wisdom. Yeah. But it's fundamentally a story. Fundamentally story. Yeah. 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 So let's pause for a minute because I want us to watch um, just a short uh, video uh, from the Bible Project about, okay, what is that one story okay. that scripture um, is telling us about? So let's watch that. The Bible is an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge. And as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil 
that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. Okay, so that's the story of the Bible, and it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to the story in a unique way, and that's what the next video will begin to explore. So the whole story yeah. is about Jesus. Right. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week, yeah. but anything you want to say as you reflect on and that? Just very quick, uh, quickly add to it is the fact, you know, you might even say, why did people even bother to put this Bible together, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was all because of Jesus. The followers of Jesus, first and foremost, especially after his resurrection, uh, said this is a life worthwhile recording about because this didn't happen before. This person who taught these things was crucified precisely because he taught them, rose again from the dead, that's worthwhile recording. They didn't know at that time when they were writing these little pieces of, of stories about Jesus that one day they were all going to be put together in something called the Bible. And now what we call the New Testament came out of that. And then they added the entire Jewish scriptures precisely because the life of Jesus was, in fact, the apex and the fulfillment of all of that. Mm -hmm. That's how we even got the Bible, because it's all about Jesus at the center. Everything before flowed to him, yeah. and everything after that flows from him to the day when he's coming back again. Yeah, and I mean, so, you, this is obvious, but you and I are, are East Indian, not yeah, Jewish. Right, exactly. We're here in the 21st century. Right. Why on earth would we be interested, like unless you were Jewish, yeah. or you were a professor of ancient literature, yeah. or something, you're a nerd, yeah. you would be interested in... Why why are we interested in that in the first half or the, yeah. the Bible anyways? Yeah. It's because of Jesus. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it's the reason all kinds of people read it. Right. as not because they're so interested in Jewish history, yeah. um, but because Jesus is the center of this whole story. Right. And he came as fulfillment of many of those things. And the antecedents are important for us. What goes before mm -hmm. is important for us to understand, right? So I think that's important in terms of how we read it. Mm. It's not, you know, I was listening to um, one of the podcasts of the Bible Project 
does when they were talking about this, it's not that you, from the first two pages of scripture, you can see Jesus' name everywhere. No. Right? It's what we talked about last week. There's this progressive revelation of this story that is loaded with um, meaning and heading towards some kind of climax that, that begs the reader to say, like the reader's begging for how, you know, political systems aren't going to make our world better. Family systems are not going to make our world better. Uh, religious systems are not going to make our world better. Individual leaders or people, uh, rogue leaders or kings or whatever, are not going to make our world. What is going to, how are we going to get back to Eden, to paradise, right. to with each other, with God, with the earth, all of that? That's what the story is pointing to. And Jesus comes in as the, as the center of right. that to yeah. lead us into something right. new. And you know, one little, again, going back to metaphors and analogies that help a lot, that have helped me a lot about how do I connect my story with this story, mm -hmm. you know, and this whole, <clears throat> now, now that we know why it's all there because mm -hmm. of Jesus, is, you know, imagine, for example, maybe you acted in a school drama sometime, or maybe you didn't, just imagine you were there. What's the first thing the drama director asks you to do? All of us come and all of you read the script. Now, maybe your part doesn't show up till act four or act five. What do you think your drama director would say if you said to them, you know what, I'll show up when act four shows up. I don't need to read the first three acts. He's going to say, no, you're not going to be part of this drama. You know why? It is impossible to get your cues in act four if you don't know act one, two, and three and how it went. Mm -hmm. So I think just immersing ourselves yeah, in, in that, that story. Yeah. It brings up a question for me. Why should I... Or how does my story connect to this story that's thousands of years old? Mm -hmm. I think for a, a while, and sometimes still you read this book and it's so ancient in some ways, people have said to me, oh, you know, the Bible's irrelevant. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. Whatever. It's too old. It's a story. It's thousands of years old. We have a little bit of like that, you know, chronological snobbery. Right. Where yeah. We don't like to read anything old. But here's what struck me new this time. And again, I want to talk to you young people, junior high, senior high. As you're trying to figure out your story, to know that the story of Scripture is a several thousand year old story that also unfolds, in a sense, into yours, what you can know is it's a story that is stable and true. Like, if a story is only 20 or 30 years old, how I don't know whether it's a lasting story. I don't know how true it is. How long will this story be around if it's 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old? We have so many new ideas in our culture, and new ideas are amazing. But the new ideas that connect to the old ones that are part of a longer thread, those are the ones we can trust. Mm -hmm. So when you know this story, even though it's ancient and it has a little bit difficult to read, the fact that it is unfolded in a beautiful, sort of meaningful way over several thousand years means when I find my story in it, I know it's real, it's true, it'll last. It's not gonna be subverted by some other story that's come along and says, oh no, that doesn't make any sense anymore. The threads and the themes and the stuff that's woven all the way through scripture, it's stable enough to build my life on. And without something like that, mm -hmm. we are victims, and especially adolescents and young adults, listen, Eugene Peterson called it historical amnesia. We are then relegated to reinterpreting everything in our lives just from within our limited sphere. Whereas if our lives are connected to a larger story and there's a sovereign loving architect behind that story, then we are not held reduced to just our own limited wisdom. We have the wisdom of the ages to give us perspective. 
Yeah, and I, I think one, one of the things that can be helpful is to say, yes, the new stories, the new themes, the new things we're thinking about, um, many of them are connected actually to the ancient story of God. Like Organically. The, yes, like the, the themes that we find in scripture about justice, about racism, mm -hmm. about unity, um, they're like, <laughs> they're all there. Like things that we say, oh, these are modern uh, passions of a new generation. And yes, we are, we are becoming more aware of how we uh, need to deal with systemic problems mm -hmm. um, like racism and, and fight for unity across cultures and communities. But this is, we realize this is not a new fight. This is as old as the earth. Um, one of the ways to understand even many of the New Testament letters that, that we read are addressing the Jew-Gentile problem within the early church. Right. That you had mixed cultures mm -hmm. in a context where you every culture had their own faith and their own God and their own tribe and people. Even every workplace did. They were all separated by ethnicity, by religion. Well, now you have this community of Jesus with all of these people from different backgrounds, right. different socioeconomic situations, um, different ethnicities, different religions, all professing faith in Jesus. Well, they had major unity issues. Right. There was racism, there was classism, there was sexism, there yeah. was ageism, yeah. all of that stuff. These aren't new problems. Right. And so when we read these letters realizing, oh, this is what they were trying to address, they have meaning and they can speak into the problems I'm dealing with today. And not only some of the macro issues, even at the micro level, here's, mm -hmm. a, here's a story that's not directly related to the story of the scripture, but it shows how powerfully effective it is. I remember Toronto Star published this a long time ago about a young gal who, at the age of 10, somebody spoke of her as being overweight. And so she just simply decided that that's what she was going to be like. And so she put on a lot of weight and she was having struggle with all of those things in her life. And then an uncle of hers came along to her and said to her, you know what, honey? You need to be a jockey. Now, you know, jockeys are so slim and so small and lightweight and whatnot. She said, are you kidding? And the uncle went on, who was also her mentor, started telling her story after story of her family extending back five or six generations and how they were all in one way or another connected with horses and racing. That changed her completely and transformed her entire life. Because she was able to plug herself into a much larger story. Now, multiply that in spades mm -hmm. to a much, much bigger, more universal story. Mm -hmm. See, so you just see the power of story mm -hmm. to interpret our life. If she was only left to herself, mm -hmm. she was the victim of an observation made by some tabloid writer. Mm -hmm. But when she was plugged into a larger story, it liberated her and set her free. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And I think seeing scripture <clears throat> as not this thing that constrains us or that God's attempt not to the exact opposite <clears throat> is to free us right. into who we were meant to be, yeah. which is actually what so many of our modern stories are about. Like yeah. even my favorite story, like Lord of the Rings, like is a story about someone fully embracing the calling that had been on their lives mm -hmm. for centuries mm -hmm. through their ancestors, whatever. It's in a sense, a story about all of us. Mm -hmm. Well, where do the roots of that begin in the story of God and people? <clears throat> and, and just like you said, these big issues like racism and sexism all been there years ago. The other side of the coin is equally true. You find your own story everywhere. Yeah. Hey, that was me. That sounds like what's happening to me today. That happened 3,000 years ago. Yeah. So there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, yeah, so do you have an example of that, like from your own life? I'm trying to think too, like when I've read it where I feel like, oh, this thing is reading me. This is like right where I'm at. Well, I think for me, everything that the Bible teaches about many dimensions of relationships where we rationalize, for example, 
where we tell lies, like this, this, couple, several stories in the Old Testament in particular. Mm -hmm. We talk about the value of reading an old book. Mm -hmm. These are all stories about imperfect people mm -hmm. and how the behavior of a father it gets passed on to the son and these things remain with us and, and how we tend to cover up. You know, mm -hmm. even the most, one of the earliest stories about uh, when the first humans rebelled against God and God confronts them, they, they hide. Mm -hmm. And then when God comes after them and says, uh, did you do this? <laughs> no, no, she made me do it. Yeah. He made me do it. I mean, listen, we're always, our first inclination is to blame somebody else, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the ways it speaks to me the most. And just our tendency to hide ourselves from ourselves, mm -hmm. we see that all over as well. So there's just so many stories like that. Well, I, 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 that passage makes me think about a little a few years ago when I was preaching through that, how when Adam and Eve first kind of rebel against God, decide to trust themselves instead of God, which right. is really the, the heart of the, how that right. whole thing unraveled. Um, and he comes to them to find them because they're hiding from him. Right. I had never seen how like his first thing isn't like, why did you disobey me? Hmm. He says, who told you you were naked? Yeah. It, it, it gave me the picture of one of my kids was just in grade school early years. And I, I had this picture of like, if one of my kids came home one day, and I think it might have even happened where someone told them they were dumb or ugly, you know, what I would say is, who told you that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's like, who ruined your sense of self? Right. right? It was like, right. that's what I see God like going to Adam and Eve and right. saying, who told you you should be ashamed of yourself? Right. Who right. told you to cover up what I made? Yeah. So I read that. I'm like, oh, this isn't God going, you, I'm looking for the people who stole my, you know, apples from my tree. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. um, he's like, what, who told you what? Like, it was the shame that had ruined their psyche about themselves and the beautiful world that he had made that he was so exercised about. I just saw the heart of God. And, and, and the heart of God in exposure mm -hmm. is not to add to the shame, yeah. but to free you from that shame by making you self-aware. Yeah. 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 So, so, I, so those so are so, like yeah, so many ways. And I, I think I've found it too over the years where like it's helped me make in terms of, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks about like making decisions when I see, I remember you preaching years ago on uh, Israel's first two kings, one named King Saul, the other named King David, yeah. and the difference between them. And one of the things you observed was how often it said of one, he asked the Lord, he asked the Lord, he asked the Lord for wisdom, for yeah. guidance, whatever. And the other one basically lived life by his own wisdom and mm -hmm. understanding. And I just remember going, okay, like that there's a way of being. And one of them was called a man after God's heart. And so this wasn't about perfection because clearly he made a mess of his life right. in many respects. But one of the things he did over and over was say, you know, I need God. I need God's wisdom. I need God's help. And apropos the same earlier story where my story connects with that, mm -hmm. that story you talked about, that king, his miserable ending started with something called impatience. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's me. Mm -hmm. Impatience is probably one of my biggest uh, problems. Yeah. And it shows that not so often much with people, mm -hmm. but with things and circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that story, oh, I still today say, God, preserve me, because the horrible ending of that man started with something that doesn't get much ink in our lives. Yeah. Impatience. Who isn't yeah. impatient? Yeah. But these are the kind of things where, again, it's God opening up. He's taking off the fig leaves. Yeah. Not to shame me, but to say, yeah. can I show you that? Can I show you that? Here's an alternative way. Look what that can lead to. Yeah, that happened 3,000 years ago. It's happening to me today, if I'm not careful. And the story of Jesus, yeah. in light of that, say, like, is going, he becomes 
finally the leader where all other leaders failed their right. tests of temptation, their tests of patience, yeah. their their dependence on God, their uh, you know building kingdoms for themselves or whatever. Like Jesus comes in a sense. So like all of those broken stories are are reflecting in an empathetic way our brokenness and saying these are all people God has made and God loves. But we realize, oh, we need somebody else to save us, right. <laughs> you know, and so that it both uh, reveals who we are, but also makes us long for that redemption of our own stories. That somehow God will bring, and this is who Jesus is, right. is brings healing and redemption and restoration to every story. Uh, one of the most beautiful metaphors, and again, you're talking about my story connecting <laughs> the story. It was spoken of King David, but then ultimately of Jesus is the true son of David, that when one rules over men in righteousness and in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. I was reading that one day, and I love the, you know me, I love the sunshine. I was walking outside, actually, in the, in the ravine next to the church, and I thought, what does the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning do to me? It awakens me from my slumber. I don't want to waste any more time in bed. Mm -hmm. It fills me with anticipation when I'm getting out. And as soon as the sun rays hit me, I can feel the vitamin D coming up within. And I thought that's what Jesus is like. Mm. He awakens me from my slumber, mm. metaphorically speaking. He fills my life with anticipation. I can hardly wait to go to him. And he is like vitamin D to my whole soul. That's a little mm. image. Yeah, He's so well, and, and the Bible is chock a block full of images like that. And so... Again, going back to Jesus, God setting us free, you know, mm. that's an invite, it's an inviting metaphor, not yeah. a pushing away metaphor. Yeah. And you see how different God is from the picture that so many of us have grown up with of a harsh, angry God who doesn't want to have anything to do with you. So I think that's good um, because knowing the stories about Jesus, nice. I think helps us read it when we encounter some struggles. So as you're reading it, or maybe you have in the past, um, there's stuff we don't understand or stuff that is messy. Yeah. So I was a couple of things came to mind in terms of, okay, what do we do when we encounter things we don't understand or that's kind of messy or messed up, right? Because like you said, it's an honest account. It's not a nicely right. polished account mm -hmm. of only the good stuff, right? right. Um, so there was one, one thought was, well, did Jesus change any of this? Mm -hmm. Like, cause there were some ways in which Jesus said, you've heard it said, but right. now I say, mm -hmm. so there's some things that we see in incomplete or rudimentary form right. in the old Testament or the first half that Jesus redoes. Mm -hmm. So one of the big ones for me, I think is like, uh, this idea of violence and nonviolence, you know, mm -hmm. like we see and read like so much violence in sort of a warring culture mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. Not even the ancient, the first century Roman Empire was also a right. warring culture. And yet we see Jesus um, refusing to take up arms, refusing right. to engage in bloodshed, um, showing a new way. And so <laughs> we struggle with some of the ways the people of God were fighting and like as part of the warring culture. And we go, oh, and there's still people today who would see like, Oh, like that's what it, we have to fight, right. you know, for a nation state or for uh, our rights as Christians or whatever. Well, no, like Jesus completes <laughs> the story of, he says, well, you've heard it said, you know, love, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say like, love your enemy. Like he was redoing or recasting uh, the law. And so some of the ways we need to read even the first half is saying, hey, did Jesus change any of this? Um, that's one. And another one is, is it saying what I think it's saying? Yeah. 
Um, I remember somebody that is, you know, really helpful for both you and I is Timothy Keller. Mm. He said, you know, we read things in the Old Testament where there's accounts of polygamy. Right. And we go, oh, like what a horrible treatment of women, right. you know, and patriarchal culture. And of course, that's true. Um, and like, but these are people of God, like Abraham and, you know, some of them, they had multiple wives. And well, he said, well, it's interesting is he says every account of polygamy, though it was very common in the ancient world. You have to understand this was just normal in the ancient world. And yet every account of it in the Bible story, it goes wrong. Yeah. Like it actually reveals how broken a practice polygamy was without coming out and saying it because it's a product of its time. It's thousands of years old, mm. which would have been, quote, normal for that to happen. And yet God is saying, like, that's not my way. And even when midwives or, um, sorry, mistresses and second wives and all that get mistreated by the patriarchal systems or by the other women, God goes after them. So right. he said, you know, is it saying what I think it's saying? Right. So those are two very good examples of uh, dealing with stuff we don't understand. Mm -hmm. I would also like to say to people, to free you, you don't have to understand everything. That's the other thing in yeah, this master story. Uh, the goal is to, when you connect with a story, even you read a great novel that you really, really like, there are some sections that you think, what was that chapter about? I didn't understand that. They could have, that author could have left that out completely. You don't have to understand everything because the main thing is the main story that you need. And that's crystal clear. One of the principles I learned early on in life is never let the gray areas cloud the black and white. Mm -hmm. Or don't let the main story be forgotten. It's not to minimize it. You need to face these things. And that's the other thing I was going to say. So often, the bad stuff is fuel for prayer. The first prayer that is recorded for us in the Bible is, is a man wrestling with God that he cannot understand. Mm. So while some questions like you talked about help us with our understanding, other things free us, but I don't have to understand it all. I never will understand it all. If I'm dealing with God and God's ways with people, mm. it should stand to reason that I cannot understand everything. Mm -hmm. But there's enough that is so clear that helps me to make sense. So don't let the parts that you can't understand, don't deny them. But don't let the parts that you can't understand keep you from learning the main story, immersing yourself in the main story, finding yourself in the main story. And then I also found that the difficult parts are fuel for wrestling with God. Yeah. Take the question to God. And somebody once said, wrestling is in some ways the most intimate thing you can do. You can do many things long distance with someone. You cannot wrestle long mm -hmm. distance. You have to be in intimate contact. Yeah, which is fascinating because the story of scripture has people literally wrestling with yeah, God yeah. and through the prayers, so right. many of the prayers, which the Psalms, mm -hmm. you know, are like the prayer book yeah, exactly. of the people of God. God, why? Why do you, this back and forth. Why? How long? You know, why? How long? Oh God, you're faithful. I love you. Why are you being so faithless? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Oh, you saved me. When are you going to save me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This just real, like it just grounds. And I think that's true about our own story. There are parts oh, of our yeah, own story yeah. we don't understand saying, mm -hmm. God, why? Right. You know, and I think to realize that the people of God, the story of scripture is messy. There's all kinds of stuff in mm -hmm. there. And you talked about um, uh, about how sometimes we can read over the text. Right. And some of that reading over is like, I have to know, explain everything right, right, to right, me. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and there is, I think we have to embrace some level of mystery. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that the, that the tree in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were told not to eat mm -hmm. from 
was a tree of knowledge. Right, exactly. And the fundamental temptation was, hey, you can know you can everything. Know, exactly. That's what hooked her. Yeah. yeah, and I think that is, that is a, not that we, it's not anti-intellectual. Yes, we can grow and wrestle, but knowing everything is not the goal, yeah. Yeah. right? It is relationship with God who we trust fundamentally. Totally. That, was the, that was the choice they were making in the garden. Yeah. Do you trust me or do you have to know everything for yourself? Right. And you know, and in the, in the big why question, the Holocaust, for example, yeah. In the movie that was made of the Holocaust called The Hiding Place, Cory Ten Boom was a Christ follower, yeah. lived through all the horrors of uh, Ravensbrook. And at the end of it in the movie, somebody asked, so now do you have answers to some of these questions? I will never forget her response. She said, I don't have many answers, but I'm learning to live the questions. Mm. That's the mystery you talked about. We learn. That's maturity, learning to live the questions. So yeah, reading the scriptures, the master's story will throw up a lot of questions. But wrestling with the questions is going to transform you in some subversive ways. Hmm. That's good. Well, I, um, yeah, I guess my encouragement to us as a church as we continue to read, and as I said, if you're new to faith, you're exploring faith, or you're well along in your journey of following Jesus, yeah, I guess my blessing and hope for you in this is just kind of coming back to that story of the, of the jockey, you know, like yeah. when we begin to know our story that goes back not yeah. just you know 46 years yeah, or right. you know 75 how old are you now I'm 77 77 years not just 20 years not just uh, 14 years but thousands, thousands of years exactly we begin to understand who we are my prayer and blessing for you is that this old story with all of its mysteries and complexities and mess will actually begin to anchor you to say, this is something I can build my life on. Yeah, exactly. It's not new, yeah, exactly. it's old and it's true and it's playing out over time. Um, you know, I, I, I noted that many of the stories we tell today and that um, I watch with our kids and often are, are what they call like an apocalyptic or dystopian. And they basically at their heart is life is a beautiful journey with a terrible ending, right? <laughs> yeah. And so make the most of it or whatever, because it's going to end badly yeah, right. or somebody's going to yeah. take over the world or yeah. nuclear war or whatever. But the scriptures actually tell us that it's, it's not a beautiful journey with a terrible ending. It is a story with a good beginning, yeah. a difficult journey, right. and a beautiful new beginning right. that is coming. Right. And because of that, we can journey through the hard parts, the complex parts, um, the messy parts together. And one last word. I was 17 years old when I started this journey. So please, teenagers, it's never too late. The sooner you get a jump start on this, the longer you're going to be able to live this story. Mm. So we encourage you to read um, that Bible reading plan that we're working through together as a church called The Whole Story. Um, and you can find that on version, and you can um, find that there on the screen as well. The whole story, um, that's just going to take you through Yeah, the whole story. There's four parts. Each part is about 30 days. So we're just going to start working through it together as a church. And hopefully that's an encouragement to you um, as we journey this together. God bless.